Hey, Angela here. Before we begin this episode, I'd like to invite you to join our Substack community, where you'll get more founder profiles, exclusive behind-the-scenes content, first access to all my original work, and access to our community group chat. All you have to do is click the link in the description. I love and appreciate your support. It's awesome to see all your comments, email responses, and reactions. I'm happy to share this journey with you. Thanks for tuning in. You're listening to Honey and Hustle, a video podcast that inspires the dreamers, creators, and hustlers to make a business from their passions. I'm Angela Hollowell, and I'm a visual storyteller based in Durham, North Carolina. I sit down with creative entrepreneurs, nonprofit founders, and small business owners as they share their stories, the lessons they've learned throughout their careers, and how they've worked to make a positive impact. Support for this episode of Honey and Hustle is brought to you by Manscaped, the leading men's hygiene brand. Manscaped just launched new products that you or a special man in your life will actually use, including their all-new ultra-premium body wash and a two-in-one shampoo and conditioner. It's time to give yourself or the man in your life the gift of beautiful skin and hair this holiday season. Manscaped offers precision-engineered tools like their recently launched fourth-generation trimmer, the Lawnmower 4.0. They sent me this trimmer to help me keep the mohawk nice and clean in any environment, as this trimmer reduces accidental nicks and dings, luckily for me. They sent me their hygiene bundle in the mail, and this comes complete with their anti-chafing boxers that'll keep the fellas feeling fresh all season long. You could call this the perfect package, and you'd be right. Go to manscaped.com and use the code HIVE for 20% off and free shipping to give the gift of great hygiene. Once again, we'd like to thank Manscaped for supporting this episode of Honey and Hustle. So use the code HIVE at manscaped.com to get 20% off your order and free shipping and experience premium grooming. Thank you guys so much for joining me today. Uh, Cliff and Matt from Grassroots Digital Studio, digital marketing studio out of Philly. Two awesome guys who probably know way more about marketing than myself, but Hopefully they will impart some knowledge on me and you guys as well, listening and watching this episode. So thank you guys so much for joining me. Anytime. We'd love to repay the favor. (laughs) Absolutely. You were an excellent guest. We had a really good time on our, our episode. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. If you haven't watched it, I will link it below so you guys can check that out and just check out all the other awesome episodes they have because they have the awesome marketing minute and a lot of cool segments that they do to give you an insight into marketing and, what's going on in the digital media space today. So I think that's always valuable for people who kind of want to keep their ear to the ground, as Matt would say, <laughs> and stay in the know about what's happening very quickly. Um, so yeah, and to that effect, we are going to talk a lot about digital marketing today. And not just digital marketing as in what is it, how should you do it, but what are some of the trends that we think you will see and maybe want to take advantage of in 2022? Um And I really want to start here with podcasting and then go into social media. Social media is just one way to market yourself. It's not the only way. Um, But I think podcasting is a natural segue for us because one, we are all podcasters now and we've seen the exponential growth of podcasting over the pandemic. So I would love to hear kind of what you guys' thoughts are on what people can think about or expect as we head into 22 in terms of podcasting, whether or not something that's going to be a viable marketing uh, avenue for their business? Um, I think definitely. And I think one of the things, I think video in general, but I think podcasting, especially for 
businesses in terms of building brand awareness and you know connecting i think it's going to be really crucial but i yeah i think video i mean we've seen even with sort of the rise of tiktok and i mean for years they've been saying like this is going to be the year of video on facebook and everywhere else and um i i think that it is actually going to finally be kind of a thing where uh i think to be a player you really have to be uh, creating video and you know a podcast is a great way um in terms of controlling that message uh you know, out to your um, prospective customers, uh, current customers. Um, yeah. And, I, you know, what I, what I think is going to get even bigger and bigger is live streaming your podcast. Um, there's a lot of that go, that goes on now. Um, but what that does for you is it, um, it basically grabs a whole new audience or um, because in, in theory, what you should do when you do a live stream podcast is get your guests to share it. Now, every time you go live and then you have them share it on whatever feed it is, now you're in a whole nother feed of somebody that these people do not know who you are. And if they come across that live feed on Twitter, on Facebook, on YouTube, you're just... Um, you're introducing yourself to a brand new market of people, right? Um, there are a lot of companies that don't understand that just yet, but I'm, I'm sure that that's going to happen. Um, to me, though, podcasting is kind of a really saturated market right now. So the biggest thing with podcasting is you've got to find the right like niche to talk about, or otherwise, you know, it's really hard to grab an audience of people. Um, but also the other the other thing too is what's your goal, right? Is your goal to get listens and then eventually make it big? If that's your goal, be sure to have a niche, right? Um, and be sure to have a way to do things like go live and um, not just be, you know, audio or video. Be a little bit a mixture of both because both things will help you. Now on the flip side, if you're growing your business. I mean, obviously, your podcast should be based around what your business does, whatever niche that is. If you're a restaurant, talk about the food and like, I mean, that's a, there's definitely probably foodie podcasts out there, right? Um, but if your you're, you're one business is to get people to know who, who you are um, and grow your own personal business, it, your goals might not be to get every listen. It might just be to get into certain people's feeds that don't know about you. But let's in that restaurant case, your, your restaurant in Philadelphia, try to podcast with other people in Philadelphia to get into the Philadelphia feeds so that people learn about your restaurant. So, um, you know, it just depends on what your goals are because not every podcast out there, it, their goal is to, is, is to get as many listens or views or whatever and make money. Some of it is, your marketing right and to be honest very low b barrier of entry to do podcasting that's why there's so many that are out there and a lot of times like if you're not the first marketing or video podcasting you know podcast it's really hard to grab a huge audience so the big thing is just know what your goals are if you don't know what your goals are you're going to be aimless out there um, yeah 
Go ahead, Matt. Sorry, I was just going to, you know, in terms of what Cliff was saying, I think it's so relevant that, um, you know, you want to be, you want to give, yeah, you don't need to, I mean, unless that's your goal, like you don't need to create like a huge audience base. And I think that's true on, with any platform, you know, whether that's social media or podcast or anything like the goal shouldn't be like, well, we want to have X number of followers or X number of listeners. Like, you know, you want to, you want to reach the people that, that you want to reach. And like Cliff said, reach people that maybe didn't even know about you, but you know, I mean, depending on your business, that might be, you know, to somebody else, like a small number of people, but it could be very important to you. And I think also with what Cliff said, there, there are so many like different podcasts out there. It is a saturated market, but I think if you bring value to your listeners, like that's the key. Like I know for our podcast, you know, our goal is to give, you know, value to a business owner in terms of how they could, you know, like some of our guests either are marketers or people that own businesses and, you know, do marketing and, you know, really give them a sense of like, well, this is something I could do or I could try. Um, so I, I think that's really the, the, the key in, 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 yeah. And the other thing too, that we do is like, we give you examples of something that's working really well in the market in the moment, because that's a lot of times right now. I mean, and, and this goes with all, you know, marketing right now, there are so many things that happen in a week or two week time. And then you like, it's over. And that was, that was it. That's all you got. It was a flash in the pan. And if you didn't capitalize on it in that moment, it's, it's, it's just done. But we try to capture all of those things to give you better ideas of what you can do and what they did right and what they did wrong. And maybe like we always get a third, you know, not in the early ever, earlier episodes, but the later episodes, we, we get a third party's perspective because we view it from a marketer's perspective, but we also like to see how, you know, how, how, and just a normal person interprets it. So um, we give you all those kind of hit tips. And then on top of that, you know, our, you know, our interviews really go into like, you know, everyone had to go through a digital transformation of some sort during COVID, whether you're working from home or your business had to become a delivery business if you're a restaurant, um, you know, whatever that transformation is, we like to talk about that so that there's more information out there for, you know, business to learn and grow from. So. Um, yeah. Sorry, we're talking. We started talking about ours. So. <laughs> it's all good. It's all good. No. No. I'm sorry. Keep going. Well, yeah, I, I think um, you said you also want to talk about social media, and I kind of want to pivot into that real quick, if that's okay. So real quick before we yeah. go there. So I think two things that you guys mentioned. So one is that you guys both agree that podcasts are saturated, but right now the numbers are showing that podcast is still the earliest form of like this anchor or like pillar digital marketing tool right now youtube has been out so much longer blogging has been around forever email has been around for a long time podcasting is still like baby infancy phase and then other podcasts that are available a lot of them are like defunct like they're not continuing people barely make it through episode 20 like that's really kind of the marker now if you can't make it past 20 episodes then it's not really considered an active podcast so the amount of inactive podcasts is so high that really and truly, like, if you want to get into the podcast game right now, whether that's your marketing strategy for your business or something you want to pursue and see how you can build an audience that way for a creative platform or whatever, you can get into that fairly easily. There is a space for you there. 
if you can commit to being consistent and commit to your vision, whatever your goal is for yeah. podcasting. So yeah. I think so I was just gonna say, I think you're absolutely right. I think that like with any marketing, you know, initiative, like the consistency and, you know, um, staying with it, like that's what will build. I, and I think that's why a lot of people kind of peter out. Cause if you don't, and this is true with so much marketing, like if people don't see the, the immediate benefit, you know, whether that's running, you know, Google ads or a social media campaign, like they want to see like results immediately. And it's like, that's not how these things work. Like, you know, you have to take time to develop, you know, if you're doing a podcast, you know, developing your brand, connecting with your audience. And, uh, you know, that takes, that takes time. Um, and I, and I think too, to your point, you mentioned like email marketing and, um, some other things. Like, I, I think we're seeing a resurgence of a lot of those things where people are starting to think of email, um, a lot differently. And, and I know that there are some, some moves in terms of making, you know, purchasing, you know, one click away on, on emails and stuff like that. So I, I, I wouldn't be surprised if podcasting sees a resurgence. Um, and I think to Cliff's point, what he brought up earlier about, you know, that live factor, I think becomes a very important thing because when you incorporate that and you can incorporate a, um, uh, audience engagement with that. I think that becomes a whole yeah. dynamic as opposed to someone just, you know, I'm listening to a podcast, you know, but when someone can actually be involved in it, I think that creates a much stronger connection. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Um, I'd also like to say like what you were talking about, like email to blog to, you know, podcasting. I would just say that that's just a digital innovation of blogging to be quite honest, podcasting. It's no different than you putting out a blog post every week for your website or your business. It's just audio and now there's video. And the next step in the evolution was live streaming. So, um, you know, if you want to go down the podcasting route, you got to think of what the next innovation might be. That's why I'm saying live streaming is fantastic for you right this second, um, because that's the farthest we've gotten so far as far as you know, podcasting is concerned um, as for, and being interactive in one night, which is awesome, right? If you get your audience to interact with you, because then it's more of an experience. Um, so. Yeah. So the other half of that too, is going back to the live streaming and the video, as I was actually talking to somebody else on the show um, about Anchor, I made a video about Anchor by Spotify that's now added video podcasting um, yeah. to their feature set. Um, which I love, obviously, as a video podcaster, I'm sure that you guys will love. Um, but I think there is some hesitancy because there are so few people who are video podcasters who do live stream their shows. And so it's kind of like just the other end of the coin here where you guys are all in on video, all in on live streaming, where there's still a lot of podcasters who maybe have been podcasters longer than we have that started out audio only and haven't really made the switch, don't want to make the switch to video or live streaming um, and just aren't comfortable with that. You know, they want to go with the audio drop-in type, you know, Twitter spaces, clubhouse type um, form of, I guess, live streaming, live interaction, which I think is awesome. I personally love Twitter spaces, um, mm -hmm. but I don't see it as the most interactive way to do it. I still feel like video is, just a way that I would prefer to engage um, personally. But I think just having a way to repackage and repurpose your podcast is also kind of the key to this as well. So like people that maybe have started audio podcast or only relate podcasting 
to audio only. Now, if you're getting into the game now, it's probably better for you to think forward about how can I repackage this in terms of marketing it and getting the word out and growing that audience, whether it's for your business or for your creative platform. So that was uh, the only distinction that I made. That I, think I, really I would say that it's a good opportunity to start putting your videos onto Anchor because if there's not a huge audience there, that's an opportunity to be the first. So whenever you have the opportunity to be the first, it's it's gonna it can propel you to way bigger levels um and as we're saying this i'm like we should get all of our videos um that we have already on youtube onto anchor because then it's just another way for people to discover you yeah. um but it's also just another way to distribute your content right so um i want to hold off on talking about spaces because that's part of what i wanted to talk about with the social okay. media um but I, yeah I, I have a lot of thoughts on that <laughs> and a lot, yeah. a lot of good ones too. But I, and another thing to your point, I know a bunch of people that run other podcasts. We've had two of them on our, uh, you know, on our show besides yourself. Um, one is Don V uh, who runs a sports related podcast. And the other one is uh, uh, data management. We didn't really talk about his podcast on our, on our, on our show, but, um, his, and his name is Brian. Um, and Brian uses our stream, stream yard account to do a live stream, um, sports related podcast. And he, because he's got a built in audience, cause he does it around a sports team, really easy to get for him to get, um, get interaction and comments and people to interact with the show live. And now Don V on the other side, I, I've been talking to him. I've tried to like get him involved um, in, in doing like maybe a live stream video, whatever. He started off as a YouTuber um, yeah. and then he moved to audio and he just doesn't want to do video ever again. So, you know, there's going to be personal preferences, but he's got a way better. He's got a re really big audience. So I'm sure his his fans would really crave, you know, or enjoy a video you know, type thing. So uh, it's, it's, it's a preference, but again, look, Don V he's been, he's been around for a long time. Um, he's been, he like, he started YouTubing, uh, you know, a, a podcast, like when that was like just starting. Right. So he's one of the original people that, um, that started that for Virginia tech football. Right. So he started doing that and he brings a way different perspective because he's an African-American male, whereas a lot of the other shows that are available out there are, are white and the demographic is different and the perspective is different. Um, but he moved to audio and he has his followers have come with him and he doesn't need to survive on a live stream. Now, Brian, on the other hand, uh, his podcast is way is, is new. So, He's using the live stream, and then when he uses the live stream, he shares it to groups on Facebook with the same interests, and he gets like, you know, 500 views within a day or so of his stuff. So he's growing his audience base that way. Yeah. Um, so it's all like it's all preferences, but you can see why one person is one person is into the live streaming, and the other person isn't because he doesn't need to be. You know? Yeah. Well, I would say my thing would be it's not it shouldn't be your personal preference. It should be what your audience wants. I mean, that's what yeah. I would. I mean, I understand what Chris like. Yeah, I mean, some people do not like to be, but you know, from my perspective, like I think that 
podcast, just like anything, it's just another touch point, you know, so giving that video gives somebody the opportunity if they want to watch a video and some people do, as opposed to just listening to audio. Um, but I think giving, I I'm for like running a business, like you want to give somebody as many options to interact with you as possible. So you should be doing everything that you can possibly do as long as you're doing it well, like you shouldn't do things if you can't put everything into it. So don't do a podcast and then kind of like just, uh, you know, throw it together last minute. Um, but that's true with anything, you know, your, your social media or, um, you know, website, anything. Yeah. And you might get in a situation like us, uh, we, we do the live stream. So we'll have the video and the audio and it's easy to just put both up after we're done. But I mean, if we, if we look at our, our analytics, there are certain trends that show us what things are going to be really good on video and, you know, I would say the video stuff for us, um, we use it as marketing material more, you know, more times than not, because we'll take a clip of, you know, whoever it is um, that we're interviewing and make them look really good and have them talking about something that's really important to the podcast and share that as like a little clip on all of our socials. So people that didn't get to watch it live, you know, they get a little bit of it, but there are guests that we've had on that like, and it's a clear trend that this certain type of guest will get tons of views on YouTube. And then your, your, your normal, like small business owners, they're not going to get as many views on YouTube. They'll get listens, but there's a clear trend there. So, you know, if you don't have enough time to do both, uh, you know, try to figure out what works and what doesn't, because maybe one subject will work via video and the other won't. Yeah. So talking about distribution now a little bit, since we've kind of segued into social media here and we've been teasing that. Um, so going back to just how we put in our effort strategically, because even if you are doing it for the love of it, you only have so much bandwidth, right? Even if you're doing it for a business, you only have so much bandwidth. Not every marketing platform is going to perform the same to Cliff's point, right? So you have to kind of test out your efforts a lot. And one thing that we did see over the pandemic and I don't want to constrict this to the pandemic, let's just say 2021, but was this resurgence of, or maybe reinvigorated interest, if you will, into short form content via reels and via TikToks and for podcasts specifically, audiograms. So how can we repackage these clips into these short videos that people can get some value out of, get intrigued by, and then check out the show. And that can be true for more things than just podcasts. You know, it can be true for, you know, a product, right? TikToks have made a lot of products famous overnight, um, a lot of creators famous overnight. But I think businesses saw that and they're like, oh, this is our, this is our get rich quick scheme. And they started throwing in a lot of time and effort into reels and Instagram. And that's just, um, in my opinion, a very incomplete marketing strategy. <laughs> and I would love to hear your opinion on that. Yeah, I was, go okay. ahead, Matt. <laughs> All right, I got a real strong feeling, so uh, I'll let Matt go first, though. Oh, you have a strong feeling about this? Yeah, I mean, my my first, my first. Oh, no, instinct, but yeah, you go first, then. All right. right, my well, my first instinct is don't just do things just to do them. All right, like if you're going to sit down and choose social media, um, and what social media you want to be on, you have to have like thought process in 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 mind on how to get there, right? Like, um, and what I mean by that is. Okay, 
what look at your product and what is being sold and what age demographic does your product being sold get put into? So, um, you know, let's say you're an insurance business. Do you think uh, a Gen Zer or whatever the, you know, person, whatever the next generation below them, do you think they really care about insurance being on a TikTok? Absolutely not. And that's where you'll find your Gen Zers. You're going to see some people like my age millennials there, but you're not going to see my mom and dad there. You're not going to see other businesses like from a, you're not going to have a business account that's just surfing to see insurance things. The business account is, it only exists to pump things out and maybe interact with the people that are interacting with their contact, but they're not going and scrolling through TikTok and then randomly coming across your insurance TikTok. It doesn't make much sense, right? Um, so think about your demographics first and foremost before choosing any social media. Um, you know, I, I wouldn't suggest being on Twitter if you're not going to be a little outrageous because Twitter is an outrageous, you know, social media platform. And there are people like my age, they're older. You can find a lot of different demographics. It's a little bit more skewed to our younger generation. You don't typically have too many boomers on there, but there are. Um, but you have to be a little outrageous. And that's why you see the most ridiculous things on Twitter, usually. Um, you know, and it's, it might, and, and some of it's rage tweeting and some of it is community <laughs> building. Um, but yeah, typically not, not something that, again, if you're an insurance company, it's not really like something that you probably should get into now, you know, Instagram, Facebook, they're so big that you kind of have to be on there, but they also serve a whole bunch of different generations. Um, like, you know, I was in the original 30 schools that had Facebook. So I'm like an OG Facebook person. Um, I still check it out. I don't, you know, it's not as much fun for me anymore. Um, and Instagram is one of the largest, you know, user bases out there. So it's a medium you can be on, but you have to get creative on both those places and you have to have different content for both those places. So any any place that you choose, you should have different medias uh, available. So your graphics on Instagram or shouldn't be the same ones that you put out on um, Twitter or Facebook and LinkedIn or like, like you got to choose the ones that you need, you're going to use and then create different content for each one. And just really, really, you know, grind down to the right content on each platform. My I'm sorry, advice, a little heated. Well, my, my well, my advice for any business is just to not be on Twitter. Is my <laughs> advice because I it's, it is such a um, I, I, you if you're a business and you're on Twitter, you have to be prepared to defend yourself. Like that's that that is the thing. Um, I don't. That's like a channel. I don't. It, it, I think it's so tricky to navigate. Um, but to Cliff's point about like, yeah, I don't think you can be. Um, on you sh or nor should you be like on everywhere it's about finding you know where your audience is and connecting with them um and some you know some platforms are better suited um but i've i've had people tell me like again it's like it's always the like the next shiny object like oh this is hot so we got to be on it or you know and if you ask them like i remember someone asked me not that long ago a couple months like oh we need to be on instagram and i said okay well what what's the goal 
what's your goal of being on it? Well, I don't, we just need to be on there. And it's like, well, that's not a re like, you know, that's not a reason. And, um, and like what content, like, what's, what are you trying to do? Um, like, I mean, I can start an Instagram and put, you know, pictures of me wearing a hat, but it's not going to accomplish anything. Um, but you know, so I, I, I think it is, you know, finding the channels that your customers are on and, and channels that work well for you. I mean, like, uh like video works well for cliff and i for our business blogs work well obviously like we don't like take stunning pictures of like you know cliff and me and blazers you know um at the <laughs> office. so like we don't have like a like our instagram is is a much different focus on like infographs and and more business stuff like that but it's definitely you know more of a uh not like i would consider like a main channel for us but we don't it's I not think, our strongest channel, but we do create stuff there. Right. And and yeah. I think we, we dedicate the amount of time that we need to for that. And we put more energy into things like the podcast that we know have better, better, or our blog that we know has a much better return in terms of getting engagement. Yeah. Yeah. And always think about social media. There's a big pre-misconception with social media. People think that you can go from social media to a direct sale. Now, there is a truth to that now because there are platforms like instagram and facebook that are making it easier for for you to go to instantly buying um but if you do that kind of a strategy always think about this do you want facebook to have that data because more times than not you don't you want to have that data yourself you you want that data to be proprietary because facebook is just gonna rip you off in the end kind of like Amazon. You know, Amazon. Yeah. I mean, that's what Amazon does. To Ohio. Amazon basics or whatever they call that there, you know, where they, yeah, they, they could definitely do that kind of thing. But I mean, there is a reason it's, it's good. Like if you have a visual product, yes. Sell on Instagram. That makes sense because it's removing steps before someone has to purchase and that, that, and there's ways to get people from, uh, to not necessarily buy on Instagram, but to kind of take them from Instagram directly to a cart type situation. That's more what you would like to do on your own personal website, because then you get all that data. Um, but you just don't want everyone to have your data because that's really the most, that's like the gold to your, to your business. And you really have to be data minded and focused to really understand that. And there are a lot of people out there that don't. So, yeah. So real quick here, you touched on two different things that I want us to explore here kind of as it relates to things that I've seen that have worked extremely well, but also things mm -hmm. that I think are very popular that still aren't truly understood. And one of those things, just the first one at least, is this ownership of community and audience, right? So we had talked about email marketing. And I think the reason that I would say my generation or people like me who are like maybe mid to late 20s when I started my business, I didn't even think about email marketing. That wasn't something that people were really doing. It was Facebook, Instagram, especially being in the visual arts and stuff and digital media. But now people are, you know, complaining. They're running away from Facebook. They're running away from Instagram because they're tired of the algorithm changes. They're tired of being in that pay for play market, especially when you're a service based business and your goal with every post or whatever isn't a direct sale that results in a, you know, DM or whatever. You know, it's like, OK, this isn't serving the express purpose that I need. And even if it did, I wouldn't want Facebook and Instagram having this 
you know, being the sole ownership of this information for this person. I also want to have a way to access them if Facebook and Instagram go down. They're probably going to go down while we're talking about it. Who even knows? You yep. don't control those platforms, you know? Mm -hmm. And so, like, there's this resurgence or extreme interest in finding community online and building your own community and having access to your own community whenever you want, however you want. If that is to make a direct sale, if that is to host a sale, if that is to sell a new product or launch a new service, if that is to do something completely different, like launch a podcast, you know, you want to be able to tap into that audience get that direct feedback and engage them in a way that you want to. And so I do think email marketing places like Facebook groups, discord has been freaking taken off. Like people just trying to find yeah. little spaces on the internet to engage with people. And I would say the community building is, you know, one of the biggest things that's happening right now um, in social media in general. Um, now to do it yourself. I mean, here's the thing. Any any type of the, these strategies we're talking about, someone else is going to own part of your data, and it's just like who who do you want them who who do you who who do you want to own them? Because if you're doing an email marketing campaign, you're going to be using um, you're going to be using something like Constant Contact or Aweber or there's a, a, a slew of different email places that will help you. But then those people own your media. Th those people are going to own that data that you're providing them, right? Your click-through rates, what's working message-wise, how you know, how to effectively get to, you know, you know, get someone to go through what's a good subject line, what's a good click, uh, what's something good in the email that'll click in and all that kind of stuff. Um, so if you're building a community, you're going to be giving your data away somewhere. Yeah. Um, that's number one. Um, I think, you know, 10, 15 years ago, you couldn't create a, an email that was really eye-popping or attractive for people to see. And I, I guarantee in the next five to 10 years, our emails are going to get way more visual and less word-heavy and scannable because yeah. that will help people find the material that they're looking for. It'll keep them on an email quicker because if you're like me and Matt and we've been around since the emails were invented, um, it's really easy to tune emails out. I mean, uh, you know, I, I don't know. I, I get, especially around this time of year, I get like 20 new emails every like other hour. And I just go into my inbox and boom, boom, boom. I don't know what these are. And I'm not even going to look at them. So well, I get 20 like every five minutes. Yeah. And I'm, I'm surprised your computer <laughs> hasn't dinged in the middle of <laughs> you know, I still, I still use my original AOL, uh, you know, oh, that I got in, Matt, in, um, in, in, uh, 1996. Um, oh, God. I was I born in 94. That's a long time. <laughs> <laughs> I still use it. I usually use it for like, um, like junk mail or if I'm signing up for something, it's like my, uh, my default email. Like I think email is a great way to build community outside of social media or to to augment that um, because I you know I I think the 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 difference between giving your your email list to like a constant contact or Mailchimp or something like they're not like leveraging it like are going to try to leverage it against you um, like yeah they keep those like click through rates and they give you industry statistics and stuff like that but I do think it's a little different than like 
Facebook and and the other socials, I I just find to be more nefarious players in in terms of data, like what they're trying to do with it. Um, and I think you can see that kind of in the way that, and we're talking about like social media trends. I think the big one for for this next year is going to be e-commerce, and we've already seen that happen a little bit um, this past year um, with Facebook and Instagram. I think they're going to try to expand more uh, to what Cliff was talking about, like making it e so easy for people to buy through, you know, Facebook, whether that's, you know, you can buy right through a post or, um, you know, whatever it may be. But I think that's kind of where they're going because I think they've, they've sort of, um, bled the, the businesses dry on terms of ad revenue. So they're trying to figure out like, where can we make more money? And like, well, if we can, sort of get in the e-commerce space like Amazon and we become the place people come to buy goods, then, you know, we can make more money. Um, but I think that's a danger, like Cliff had said, like, I, I think it's dangerous when you give all that information to, you know, your marketing message, your, your, your sales strat, like everything is, is. But put then you think about it, Matt, we're doing that with Google anyway. So it's like, <laughs> Well, you, you know, some you of know, it, the, it's just all it these, the, the, the top tech firms, your social media, your Amazons, your Googles, they're all merging into the same thing at the end of the day. Like you get a, you know, I got an Amazon Fire, right? My Amazon Fire has a browser in it. Why do they want the browser? Because they want to see what you're searching so that they can create more things that you want to buy or watch or whatever. So it's like, yeah, we don't want to give it to Facebook, but we're also giving it to Google at the same time, or we're giving it to Amazon, or we're giving it to like whoever it is that's hosting our stuff. They're probably looking at our stuff too. So it's really a big conundrum because there's no way to completely get out of out of that unless you could like create your own, you know, analytics yeah. platform. I mean, you like, have you have to be a player in in those spaces or the spaces that you think are important to you, but at the same time, like, I think when you're creating those communities, uh, you know, on Facebook or on Instagram, like you need to have like another outlet, your own outlet, whether that's your website or an email that that those people can then come to that's, you know, independent of those. As you said, Angela, yeah. like, you know, Facebook could <laughs> go down or, yeah. you know, um, yeah, or change, uh, you know, who knows? I mean, it's changed so, so much over the, the past even couple years. Um, to where, you know, it's, it's, a, it's especially hard for businesses to um, get that visibility that they that used to be so easy to get on those platforms. Yeah. Yeah. So real quick on that, um, just to touch on that before I go to this next question is like part of Facebook and Instagram's attraction, Twitter, whatever you want to call it, um, not whatever you want to call it, but whatever platform you insert, whatever platform here is that they're free. Right. But free is not free. You know, there's a cost to being on those platforms as a business. Right. When it comes to your data, especially um, the other half of that is like if you do want that add a layer of security, a higher level of autonomy, you're going to have to pay for it. You're going to have to pay for MailChimp. You're going to have to pay for a HubSpot. You're going to have to pay for whatever your email platform is. You might have to pay a little bit more for a discord, you know, to have a higher capacity of people in your discord channel. We're not on you can talk to your audience, but your audience can talk to each other. Right. Yeah. Um, and build that tribe or that fan base or that audience based around the work that you do or the product that you sell. 
So I think there's definitely that element to it. So Facebook, people have been making a comment that like Instagram is the new Facebook ever since they added like the shop feature, right? But in a way, it is still pay to play. It is free to get on there. But if you want that, take that audience elsewhere, you're going to have to pay for that. So it's either way on some level, you're paying as a business owner. It's just about like what value are you getting versus what you're paying for in the digital space. And I think part of it too is seeing that building an organic audience and then taking it to a paid like service or product or whatever that you host independently of those um, platforms is where I think um, creators who care about their brand at all and businesses who care about their brand at all are going to start to go in 2022. Yeah. um, It's interesting that you talk about that because the community building part. So I'm going to use Don V as an example again, right? So he had an audience. He already has an audience. He used to do live streaming on his phone after a Virginia Tech football game. And we would talk about, I mean, he, I didn't really watch them very much, but I knew they happened because if I get a, you get a notification on your phone, boom, live stream. At one point he's like, okay, I want to start a Twitter group. So he's reaching out to his audience. He created a Twitter community. You know, where it's like just a group of people. You can only have 50 people and so somewhere along the line and turn into 75. So he got his audience from Twitter to the community group. I joined that community group. I never listened to Don V once before that. Like I watched him on live before. I didn't know he existed really. Like I knew he existed, but I didn't really know who the hell he was. And I became part of this community. And now I listen to the podcast, not all the time, but I do. Um, you know, when I find that it's a topic I want to listen to, but then on top of that, he got, they also created a discord. (laughs) So we got the Twitter group. We have the discord group. The discord group is even bigger than the Twitter group, but the Twitter group's kind of like the in crowd, like type deal. Like if you're in the Twitter group, it's a little bit more prestigious, but he's also grown his audience even more. So he's grew, he grew, he took his audience and he grew his audience through community building, right? And now with the introduction of spaces, which is like, I feel like Clubhouse came around and this is going to happen a lot too. There's going to be a new hot social media platform that'll probably come up in the next five years. Probably want, it could, be, could have a new one this year. I don't have one to name for you right now. But <laughs> you'll know what it is once it happens because it'll, like, it'll be like Clubhouse. Like, ooh, everyone's in Clubhouse listening. But what do the big tech firms do? They go and they create the exact same experience on their own platform. So, you know, they, I mean, spaces to me is a, a lot of fun. And Don uses that as too. Um, he uses that to get people to talk about, you know, a game post game. And it's a lot of fun to sit there and listen. Sometimes it's like listening to, you know, there's 75 people, one guy's proctoring, everyone can get involved. And there's like, the fact that the audience can engage with some like someone that they thought they would never be able to engage with is so big. It's really, really big. And I think really the biggest opportunity in the next upcoming year is to use like a spaces or, um, you know, I guess clubhouse has some sort of feature. You can't really do this on Instagram or, um, Instagram, LinkedIn, unless they create that feature, right? Um, to use that as a social listening factor. Uh, so 
for instance, you know, I, I'm going to use sports because it's e- easy for me to like correlate stuff and hopefully our your audience understands too. I'm a Virginia Tech fan. We just got a new coach, right? Don's going to have a, a, a space later tonight. And how awesome would it be if the new coach just dropped in on the spaces because anyone can drop into the spaces. And he's got a hundred people. A lot of them were really um, upset with the last coach because they didn't interact. He didn't interact with any of the, any of the fans and the, it turned the fans to even more pissed off people. So how cool would it be for that new coach to just drop into that spaces, say, Hey, I just really wanted, I just wanted to say a couple things. Thanks for, you know, all the support looking forward to doing a good job for you. And then bouncing how much good faith did that just buy him? Right. Um, And that's a huge opportunity. And we talk about this all the time. It's called social listening. And, And typically when we talk about social listening is, okay, see a conversation, see like a big conversation happening and then inject yourself into the conversation because then it's like um, you're getting into, like let's say you see a thread of uh, something with a hundred comments on it and it's about digital marketing. No brainer for me and Matt to jump into there, right? Because we are a digital marketing firm. And if we jump into that conversation, people will know who we are and hopefully they'll think twice about us and, you know, they'll trust us a little bit more. And it's just another touch point that might get them closer to, to becoming a customer. Right. But it's also like, wow, we're interacting together. So it builds a little, even a little bit more trust there. Now, the biggest opportunity you got right now is to hop into one of these spaces. If it meets like your criteria um, of what you're looking to do, right. For us, we could hop into a, a small business space and talk about digital marketing tactics with other small business owners. And that would be a really good connection. They didn't know we existed. Now they know we exist. They're having a conversation with me. We're having a back and forth, you know, talking and, you know, the chances of them becoming one of our customers is a hell of a lot better that way than getting some random email or them following up, you know, just randomly showing up on our website or seeing something on social that takes us, takes them to their, our website, you know, all that stuff is good, but the interaction and the touch points, you know, with the human factor is always better, but that's a big opportunity because now you can go and look on Twitter, which is free and look for, uh, you know, a relative space to whatever you need. And you can hop into that space and put your personal touch on it. Um, so for a business owner right now, Whatever your niche is, let's say a space opens up that that's talking about owning a restaurant and what it's like to, you know, you know, what it's like to staff right now, because that's a huge problem. You go in there, you introduce yourself um, and then bam, people, new people know about you that have the same kind of mindset. So find what your niche is and inject yourself when you can, just like you would do in a social post. But now it's like a live speaking, you know, way more personable. So. Um, I'm sorry, I went on a little tangent there, but the community building is huge. And this is just a, you know, I, I'm really a big fan of, of, of spaces because of the potential you have to, yeah. to grow your business that way. Yeah. So one thing on that too, and I guess it kind of goes to my second question that I referenced earlier is 
one, ownership of your audience and your community and the ability to generate a community in your own way. I do think I'm a thousand percent agree. I love Twitter spaces. It is amazing how many, I would love to see analytics on what Twitter spaces is doing right now. I think it's an incredible addition. I know that fleets didn't make it, but fleets walk so Twitter spaces could run. I'm telling you, I mean, Twitter spaces yeah, for sure. to me, what a way better interactive experience than clubhouse. And this is coming from someone who, I have an Android, so I didn't get Clubhouse access like right away. So I had Twitter Spaces access before Clubhouse. So I had the opportunity to actually compare the two before Clubhouse fully like petered out, you know? Mm -hmm. So for me, it was like night and day. It was like, oh, I'm not missing anything by the time I had Clubhouse. Like I really enjoyed Spaces and really grew part of my audience in Spaces. I just felt like it was a more organic and natural extension of a platform that I already had and versus, you know, Clubhouse where... Truly, there's really not a lot of, unless, I mean, maybe there are some, but I think. What I think, what I, what I think Clubhouse has a. And stuff and talks and speakers and stuff, not necessarily like community talks and conversations, right? And so mm -hmm. I wasn't a fan of that interface right there. And there wasn't a way to talk to other people like chat wise or like tweet wise, you know what I mean? Whereas like yeah. I can tweet about a space that I'm in and like continue the conversation out of that, even if I'm not a speaker. Yeah. Um, so the other half too is like, transparency and access to people and this new interest in blockchain and web three and crypto and nft and what that means for the everyday creator and having ownership of their own intellectual property and digital property and artistic property and i think too again it goes back to i want to say people thinking that it's going to be like a quick you know this is my quick rainmaker obviously there are people becoming overnight millionaires off nfts but I don't think that like everything, converting all our money to crypto and like going all to blockchain, whatever that even means or looks like is the answer to all of our perceived problems. Because again, like we are talking about marketing. We are talking about something that works on a supply and demand like balance, right? I don't think as of right now that what people perceive the demand to be or what the supply is meets the demand that people have. I don't think there's a lot of demand for a lot of people, the potential that people think blockchain and crypto and NFT and Web3 have right now. So I'm interested to hear your thoughts on just like digital transparency, like this new age of like your businesses, like Matt was saying, like you have to be able to stand up to attack when you're on <laughs> Twitter, yeah. especially, but on yeah. any online space. Now, oh like, yeah, for sure. For you sure. gotta be ready to like have people come at you. So it's like, are you really gaining transparency and like privacy and security by going to blockchain or is it just another opportunity to approach your interaction with the digital space differently yeah i think um well i think a lot of those things are again uh i think i used the phrase earlier like you know the next shiny object i think a lot of people gravitate towards those as as solutions and i i don't know you know if they really are you know solutions to transparency and um you know and and i don't know i would say they're the least transparent of anything yes the blockchain exists yeah. and everything is attached to it but there's a reason why your high-end political figures your your criminals are using it to yeah, don't, and and to don't purchase get, things don't get me going on the on crypto i know cliff is like uh like some crypto but i i it just seems like a like a weird thing and i actually don't like that facebook with the 
whatever they universe, yeah, <laughs> whatever they renamed that that currency. I forget were they going to call it something else, and then I forget what they call it now. Um, but uh, like, yeah, I think moving to those kind of things, like, I I don't know that it gives you know any much more transparency, and uh, I I don't think it lets you create like a a community of your own followers any any easier. Um, you know, I mean, I think I. For, I wanted one to mention when Cliff was talking before about, you know, or maybe Angela, you had said something, you know, I think that, you know, creating personalized experiences is, is, is really what's going to help drive, I think, 2020 even more, 2022 more. Because, <laughs> um, no, let's not go back to 2020. But, um, you, you know, because I, and I think what's shocking is I still see a lot of brands do this and not like that your content needs to be personalized to every individual, but that your content should be personalized to who, like who your audience is. And I still see lots of big brands that it's like, they're just going through the motions. Like you, you, they posting something that, you know, they could have posted five, 10 years ago. And it's like, you know, what are you doing? Like, are you listening to anybody or just kind of, um, but I think that's where you're going to see a lot of brands shift. Uh, I the ones that are smart, I think will shift to to creating that more personalized content based on analytics that they have. And and you, you your might point, I think here. it's important to it's going to be important to have those those data points that that you can um, you know. And I don't know like with changes with you know Facebook analytics and the other platforms analytics, how much of that information we'll have access to. And that's kind of the scary part is that you know if they're holding that kind of information on you know who follows you or um you know how how do you how do you capitalize that in a in a productive way i don't know it's kind of weird it kind of goes against because like facebook depends on businesses to spend on ad money but we spend ad money on facebook because we know we can reach a certain customer so like if we can't like it's it's a very weird sort of thing i don't know how they yeah we can get the analytics maybe that's why they want to be the new uh amazon you know (laughs) Yeah, so I'd also add, like, look, your blockchains, like, look, they they exist, and there's going to be a place for them, but they're going to start getting regulated, and you already started seeing this kind of more recently. Same thing with social media. Like, that's something to really watch out in the next year or so. The, the problem is, is uh, you know, countries like ours, they take forever to get things done as far as legislation and technology changes at such a rapid pace that the government can't keep up with it. And, and at some point they're going to have to address it because it can't go on forever the way things are right now. Um, And, you know, it's gotten to, you know, government agencies and stuff like that. So eventually something will be done, but who knows when that will happen. I'm going to disagree with Cliff on that one. I don't know if they're, you know, because I, I think the one of the biggest issues with, uh, you know, I think with social, I'll agree with Cliff on it, is that it, like, or technology, it moves so quick. And I think that yeah. that's why you have a lot of this self-regulation by by Facebook, by Twitter, by Google, um, before the government can even react. So I think by the time the government figures out, like, you know, Google's already moved on to its next, you know, like hurdle, you know, I mean, the Europeans yeah. have been a little bit more on the ball with uh, holding them accountable for stuff that they're doing. But 
um, yeah, I think the self-regulation, I mean, sometimes I feel like that is uh, like a separate full-time job to just keep up with like all these changes that all the different platforms make and, you know, what you can do and can't do. Like, you know, I mean, what you could do last year with a Google ad or a Facebook ad, you can't do this year, but you can do this. So, I mean, it, it does create a lot of challenges for um, businesses, you know, I mean, it's different as an individual, but for businesses to navigate um, in a way that um, is uh, profitable, you know, I mean, it's, uh, it, it is definitely um, challenging. One thing I do want to say about that, about you both kind of touched on was how these platforms, whether it's Google, YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, how they feed you content based on either what you paid for an ad, you know, whatever a target group you paid for or whatever content you've interacted with as a consumer based on search, like, comment, whatever that is. And one thing right now is December as we're filming this is everybody, myself included, posted their Spotify wrapped. And I saw a tweet that was like, Spotify is the only company that has successfully rebranded. Hey, we've been watching you into, oh, isn't this fun? <laughs> so it's just like, yeah. there's some companies that do it really well. I think Spotify is one of those companies. I personally love the videos that YouTube suggests to me. Personally, that's just me. I could be, you know, somebody out there could hate YouTube. I'm not one of those people. Sorry. So, <laughs> like, but I think there's organizations that do it really well. And I think there's organizations that just repeatedly have gotten it wrong. And so there's a lot of lack of trust there when, okay, Facebook, Instagram, I'm just going to say names. Marketing in general is more, how can I create like almost a little mini cult around your business, right? Um, you know, it's like Apple. about- People who freaking love Apple, they're freaking Yeah, people love, love Apple or- um, I love, I love Apple. You know, the flip side is though, there are people that absolutely hate Apple too. Like they, yeah, they, yeah I love Apple too. You know, yeah, which is funny too because I, I, I love Apple, but I, I sometimes give them a hard time because some of the stuff they do is for like a huge tech company. They do is so backwards. There've been times where I've, sorry to go off on a little thing on Apple, but uh, they do, they do things like with their customer service, uh, where it's like you ask them something, they're like, oh, we can't do that, and I'm like your tech like you can't feel like you uh, you have to have me call to like you can't do it online like i'm like what's going on here it's bizarre but yeah really i mean it's about giving you a nibble um at some like really high level uh and then getting them to the next level somehow and then as you're going you're learning more and more about each person yeah. or what you're attracting each time along the way and then you're really honing in through the data that you get on what's really driving them. And that's why, like, especially with politics, and I don't I want to go too political, but they know what really drives the right and they know what really drives the left. And that's why there's a lot of polarization because they feed, they know that they need the extremes at both ends to come out to vote for them now, or else either side will lose. So they have to push out an extreme marketing message on the left side, and they also have to put out an extreme marketing message on the right side, um, or else they won't get enough people to show up to vote. So, I mean, that's that's really what it, it it's, they know what drives somebody at their core. And that's really what you have to do is put out messages, see what works, track the analytics, track the data, 
and then figure out what what hone in on what is attracting people to you and then really keep looking at it and looking at it until you get to like that core okay this is why people are coming to me and there could be like a couple of those so you want to put out different messages to appease those but it should drive people to you at the end of the day but all the power of data really i would say that like if you i don't know if anybody watching this even cares about this type of thing but i thought this was really interesting a lot of the data that came out about the marketing strategies for both uh joe biden and trump for this past election that Mm -hmm. breakdown was really uh interesting and i think too to this overall point here is like the reason they have so much data in order to pinpoint their marketing strategies effectively and the channels that they use is because they own their surveys. They own all the data from people who donate to them. They're not going through Facebook primarily. They're not going through any other free services. Like this is a touch point to get you to my website, get you to my donation page, get you to an event, get you to my email list where I can connect yeah. with you, you know, like get, get your $5 like, donation. Yeah, I, um, I think I think political parties are a good example of how you how uh, an organization can leverage, you know, that own data on social platforms, because I think uh, both political parties know how to do it effectively yeah. um, because they use that and then they use Facebook or Twitter or, or YouTube. You know, they'll do like, a you know, a site takeover because they know that that's where they're they're. Um, their audience is going to be. And like you said, Angela, yeah. I mean, but they're at the end of the day, they just, they use those as, as channels to, to bring people back to, you know, their owned media. And, uh, you know, I would say that like, look, if you look throughout time, um, political leaders have always used the most recent form of media to get into places of power um, you can look like, you know, at one point radio was the go-to and then the next thing was video. And I think there was like the rise of like Mussolini and Hitler and all that. They used video a lot, um, which was, you know, and used the TV. I, we, politi- political stuff is good to look at from a marketing perspective because it shows you what tactics are really working in that moment. Um, and typically they use the most innovative media to win i mean there's no doubt about it like when trump won uh almost five years ago you know they had categories they sent messages out through social media they used that cambridge analytica scandal to get data that they weren't supposed to have um and they put out messages to tell people to not go vote because it was the worst worst you know thing they you know ever and then once if you're in that category all you're going to see is that stuff because it's in that algorithm right and then they leaned into that one message you know a message that would make it like more on the um at one of those extremes um whatever you know that message is but if you fell into that category you were getting amped up to go vote um but they literally broke down cities and put them into six different categories to, and then fed messages to those six different categories to get a low voter turnout. Um, and it's, there's, there's a couple of video uh, movies about it actually that you can see, I think on HBO or Netflix or something like that. But um, you know, Netflix, again, something that feeds you what you want to see <laughs> every time you turn it on. Um, so anyway, I'm sorry, we got political, but it, it, 
it's hard not to when you're a marketer because you they just they use the most modern marketing in the moment to win and you got to study it if you don't study it then you're not really following the marketing as much as you should be yeah yeah well thank you guys so much for just imparting some insights here for people who may be crafting their new digital media strategy for 2022 or not crafting it but maybe revamping it or considering what did work what didn't work and what gaps they can fill through current media marketing trends so yeah it was great yeah thanks for having us yeah